questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? And the second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap from what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty, and Michael's guest today is Brandon Applehans. He's the founder and executive director of My Quiet Cave, a ministry in Denver, Colorado, that helps close the gap between the church and the mental health community. But before we begin today, I wanted to share a recent comment that we received here at Restoring the Soul. Graham writes, This podcast saved my faith and maybe my life. I started listening about two weeks ago when I was ready to walk away from the faith after being raised in it. And then back and forth, back and forth, battling a sexual addiction myself, I read Michael's book two years ago, and while laying in bed one night, ready to throw in the towel, I randomly thought of him and his book. I wondered if he had a podcast. So I looked it up and started with episode one. I've now listened to the first 23 episodes and have told at least 15 people about the podcast. Thank you so much, Michael, for doing what you're doing. Man, it's encouragement like that that just puts wind in our sails and challenges us to continue. Graham, thank you for your kind words and taking the time to give back to us. Now, if you're listening today and would care to drop us a comment, we sure would appreciate it. Now back to today's podcast. As Brandon Applehans shares his own struggle with mental illness, you'll hear about his passion to make the church a safe place for people with mental health issues, as well as equipping the church to be a resource instead of a roadblock. We hope you'll discover the various ways advocates for the mentally ill receive pushback for the work they do. The biggest problem related to churches and communities of faith and their understanding of mental illness And finally, resources to help break the stigma of discussing mental illness in the church. Now, this is episode two of three of our interview with Brandon. So picking up where they left off from the last podcast, here's your host, Michael John Cusick. This is part two of either a two or three part conversation with Brandon Applehans, who is the founder of and director of My Quiet Cave. And Brandon has a passion and a mission to make space for faith and mental health. Welcome back to Restoring the Soul. Thanks for still having me. We ended, and what was on my mind was you try to bring awareness and support for people with mental illness in the church and in spaces of faith. But I know personally that sometimes in churches and religious settings, there's pushback. Uh, Everything from, you know, if you trust Jesus, you don't need medication, to if you just pray harder, it will go away. People saying it's the devil, and there's no such thing as mental illness. So what are some of the ways that you get pushback or resistance to what you're trying to do with My Quiet Cave? It's interesting because most people will never say, hey, we really have huge problems with mental illness. Uh, you know, that doesn't really exist, at least in the current environment in Denver. That doesn't happen very often. But what does happen a lot is you get questions about how much of a faith issue really is this? Or how much is 
prayer really going to help with this? So I remember one time I was meeting with this pastor who had bipolar disorder and a prayer meeting got called so that we could pray over this guy and eliminate his bipolar disorder is what it turned into. And I was sitting in the room and there's these very passionate people praying very fervently, trying to cast out this bipolar disorder. And I started thinking, like, what are we doing? Like, this is so wrong on so many levels. One, we're actually blaming this guy spiritually for having bipolar disorder. Like, clearly this is your fault because you're not faithful enough. We're saying, hey, your prayer life and everything, you aren't strong enough to deal with this yourself. We're saying all of these issues that are going on, you're clearly at fault. Your biology has nothing to do with them. And on top of that, we're giving them hope that there's a solution that they're going to get in 15 minutes in this living room. And it's just like, no. And I remember standing up and praying, God, I pray that you would please help this person find a really great psychiatrist Mm. and find really great meds and experience no shame because they are not dysfunctional for having a mental illness and there's nothing wrong with them as a person they're still functional they still are who they are and they still have a role in the kingdom and it was counterintuitive and completely counter to everything going on that day but it really kind of highlights what's going on sometimes in the church is the idea that we're going to talk and say there's no such thing as mental illness i only ever had one interview with a pastor who told me to get off the phone because he didn't believe what i was talking about But what happens a lot more is we don't know how to address it. We don't know how to really break it down. And so we end up talking about, like, how much do we pray about it? How much do we break stigma? And that leads to other problems, like, is this a priority? That question, is this a priority? That tends to be the biggest problem that we run into with churches and faith communities. And by is this a priority, meaning what? Is this a priority means... This church exists for what purpose? So a lot of churches will say, we exist in order to make disciples and further the kingdom of God. That's our sole purpose. And I was to look at that and say, great, that's, that's marvelous. The question of mental illness is a question of the 20% of people that are dealing with a mental illness in your congregation right now. What are you doing? How are you actually supporting them? Is there space? And in a lot of cases, the answer is no, there's not space because there's so many other priorities. We're trying to run Financial Peace University, and we're trying to help out with the homeless population. We're trying to do missions work, and we're trying to preach the gospel faithfully, and we're trying to do so many things that we miss the people in front of us that are going through these incredibly uh, significant life circumstances. We just kind of write them off because we don't even know that they're there because we don't realize that it's 20% of the people in front of us. Well, thank you for saying that. I was going to come back and say, whoa, 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 let's let's hit pause on that. Two out of every 10 people sitting in a congregation are suffering from some kind of mental illness. Yeah, right now. And that's about 50% of people will during their lifetime. And that doesn't include supporters. And I mean, my wife struggled with depression before, so I've been on both sides of this being the supporter and being the person with mental health issues, and I'm not sure which one's harder. Yeah. And back to an old definition of mental illness from when I first started in the early 80s, one of the the kind of guidelines was that the definition is that there is social, vocational, 
interpersonal and emotional and psychological and or the whole pot of soup of those impairment. And so that a mental illness related to our thinking, our feeling, our behavior impairs our daily functioning. And we could include in that, of course, spiritual because if your thinking is wired toward the negative triad of a negative view of self, a negative view of the world around you and of relationships, then it's going to be really hard to think, well, God is love or God is good or church is a good place to go. That's exactly what we saw. We started a mentoring program when My Quiet Cave started, and it was a brilliant fail because we couldn't actually replicate mentors. But we learned so much. And one of the things that we learned was that every person we talked to, and they were all over the spectrum, not like autism or something like that. They were all over socioeconomically. We had people who were literally dealing with homelessness, who were, you know, heroin addicts at the time, to CEOs of $10 million organizations. And we had agnostics who were saying, I don't know if I believe in this Jesus guy, to pastors of local churches. And every single person we talked to asked the question, is God disappointed in me? And their answer was, yes, God is disappointed in me. That's exactly what you're talking about, this negative mind frame of like, I used to be somebody and now I'm not anymore and I can't perform. And because of that, I don't have this good relationship with my own faith and my own worldview anymore. Uh, The second thing that we saw was people saying, I'm not going to be who I was anymore. Like that person is lost and I want to be that person again. And the third thing that we saw was people saying, God must not actually love me. He must have neutral or malintent towards me because how else could he let me go through this? And you can see exactly what we talked about. The relationship with self is that relationship of God is disappointed in me. I'm not good enough anymore. So that's not that God is evil or something like that. It's that I'm not good enough. And you can see that also with that statement of I never get to be who I was. And you get to see that with relationships, too. I I never get to be the husband I was. I never get to be the friend I was. I never get to be the dad I was. And then you drive one step further and you see, well, God actually has mal intent towards me or neutral intent. God doesn't actually love me. This is a God problem. Right. And now I have problems with everything in my faith journey. I don't believe any of it because life hurts too bad. And in my current situation, all of this theological stuff that I've built up over the years, it adds up to nothing because I don't know how to process with my current pain. Yeah, I suck. <laughs> yeah. And and this leads to the the whole mission of this podcast where at the beginning we, we quote Andy Crouch who says there's two questions that haunt every human life, who am I meant to be and then what keeps me from being all that? I call that the delta or the disconnect between, you know, the good news and then well what my private life is and what my emotions and my thoughts and my mental illness or my addiction or my marriage that's not very good news and these two never seem to connect what we believe and what we experience and it seems like mental illness is a place where that's especially pronounced because there's apart from what you're doing and you know other uh, lights in the darkness and beacons uh, that there's rarely a voice that's countering the I suck, God is malevolent, there's something wrong with me, or there's something wrong with him. And what you're trying to do is to, to provide a voice. Absolutely. And I want to reframe that, and because normally we see mental illness as this huge obstacle to overcome. And I want to reframe it because it's actually a huge opportunity. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, because how often do you actually have the opportunity to say my worldview is coming off the rails and I need to rebuild it by rediscovering who I am and who God is in new and fresh ways because my previous way didn't work. So radical, but so true. 
Exactly. We don't do that work until we need to. So every problem in life, and this can be said so cliche, but for people who have walked through the valley or the hell, uh, that every problem and struggle is an opportunity to become and to flourish as opposed to simply that, you know, water is thrown on the fire. Exactly. And uh, I heard it said a number of times that, you know, cliches are when you haven't been through the fire, it feels terrible to hear the cliche. Then you start going through these incredibly trying times and you learn the million things that there are to learn about this thing. And when you've processed all of that and come back to it, the cliche is absolutely actually what's true. I love that. And you can say, so for me to say the heart of my bipolar disorder was I need meds, I need self-care, and I need to know that I'm valuable and I'm good and God doesn't hate me, that he actually loves me and that I'm always good enough. That's so tight and so succinct, and that's seven, eight, nine, ten years of really, really hard work. And people think that therapy is just morbid introspection or, in the case of a major mental illness, trying to get rid of the symptoms. But uh, for both of us, we talked about this beforehand, that there is this aspect of, especially with a Christian counselor, of becoming who you really are and discovering your deep identity apart from the illness, apart from the symptoms. Right. I started counseling because I had these all these issues going on that I was trying to figure out. And then in counseling, we're diving into childhood wounds, which for me, there are certain phrases like, Brandon, I'm so disappointed in you, that just ring in my head because they were my childhood wounds that framed the rest of my life. And for us to uncover those things and say, I am not becoming who I actually am, because here is this giant thing in the way. And we're going to do the hard work of breaking down that thing so that I can actually become free from that and just step into who I am. And mental illness really affords us, it affords us a couple things. One thing is it affords us the opportunity to start that work in the first place when we've been avoiding it. The second is it affords us the opportunity of habit, that we get in the habit of starting to work on those things and we can continue to work on them over and over and over. I love that. So in Surfing for God, I wrote about sexual addiction and porn addiction and compulsion with lust that rather than seeing this as this huge social problem you know that is bringing evil into the world and in fact it is that it's really an opportunity and it's an opportunity for an individual to be able to look inside and look at where they're broken and where they actually need jesus to bring healing and restoration but more than that it's an opportunity for the church to look at uh, what sexuality is, and as someone said, not just what God says about sexuality, but what sexuality says about God. And I feel the same way about mental illness is, you know, what does God say about delusions or hallucinations? Like, that's not what we're created for, because they don't bring peace and joy and that kind of thing. But what do symptoms of mental illness tell us about God? It's a question that we could do episodes on, but C.S. Lewis said once that, how can we say that an arrow is crooked unless there's such a thing as a straight arrow? Or maybe he said straight line. So I like to think that every symptom that we might call, and I'm making air quotes here, pathology or some kind of brokenness or illness Every symptom points to something that our hearts were created for and that we long for. And I don't want to belittle anybody's symptoms, but a friend of mine who is a a psychotherapist, 
a Jewish stand-up comedian, Barry Shapiro, um, who I worked with many years ago. Um, he and I spoke at a mental health issues conference recently, and he has this line that combines his stand-up and his mental health, and he says, how come no one's delusion of grandeur ever says, I'm Bob at Home Depot, who works in the plumbing department? <laughs> That's <laughs> fantastic. Know, everybody says, you know, I'm Napoleon, or I'm Joan of Arc, or Jesus, or the Pope, or something like that, when they get into that. And that is beautiful, because all brokenness is, um, it's, it's a crying out. And you're speaking into that in terms of that you are loved, uh, that you're not identified by your illness. So come back to that after my very long rabbit trail. Yeah, depression speaks to an issue because depression is so suffocating and we lose hope. And it's not like we lose hope really quickly. We lose hope over a long period of time. It just gets eroded because I can, I can handle one bad day and then two bad days and then 60 bad days and then 365 bad days and where it just it's suffocating and you start living in a world without hope and without joy and it points us straight back to what we were wired for which is hope and joy anxiety does the same thing we get wrapped up in worry and that's where you can say hey i'm actually wired for peace and trust and i remember this day when i had just found the right meds when i was i was 16 years old i was a senior in high school i'm sitting there and I was walking around in my high school and I couldn't believe people weren't smiling because I had just spent two years, what felt like to me, just fighting through hell every single day, just trying to make it through. And they had been so awful. And all I wanted to do was die the whole time. And now I got to live life again. And it was the most brilliant thing I had ever experienced. It was like being in a cave and then you walk out into the sunlight and it's blinding. It hurts because it's so good. And I remember thinking, how is it that everyone takes this for granted? How is it that everyone doesn't know how good this is? And it was exactly what you're talking about. It was that darkness points towards, I was actually made to thrive in this world and really enjoy it. And there's so much good about it. And I just, I hadn't seen it. That is beautiful about the joy and the brilliance that you experienced when the lights kind of came on. And it makes me think, wow, how easy it is to go through everyday life without the gratitude and the awe that we can have when we're plunged into that other place. Yeah, and that's, that's the opportunity that we talked about. The opportunity is I get to discover what it is for me to be good and valuable and have joy. And if I've taken that for granted for years, I don't get to anymore because my life has determined that it's sacred. And this is a sacred moment. My mom had breast cancer. And I remember when she had breast cancer because she stepped away from that and she'd been really critical about lots of little tiny things. And then she got breast cancer. And all of a sudden it was a question of, am I going to live or not? What am I going to lose? And after that process, all of that faded away because there was perspective. And I think that if I was to look at the average church and the average pastor today, they are dying for moments of perspective and moments of giant opportunity to pour into people what they know is true and to help them understand who God is and who they are. 
And those opportunities aren't daily opportunities. They're not even weekly or monthly opportunities. They're really rare because it takes something really big to break through all of the mundane life that we live. And when you get those opportunities, it's just like we said, like you walk out of the cave and it it's so good it hurts. And you walk out of mental illness and it's so good it hurts. And you walk out of cancer and it's so good it hurts. And that's the opportunity of the goodness. And that's the space that I think we both get to work in. Yeah, yeah. We get to see miracles. Uh, and we've we've experienced that in our own life and journey as we've we've been in the cave. It makes me think of um, in Ephesians one eighteen, Paul says, "My prayer is that the eyes of your heart would be uh, enlightened or opened." And we we sing a song sometimes in church, "Open the eyes of my heart, Lord." And what exactly does that mean? I'm not sure. I have different thoughts on different days, but I do know that it's often in the worst suffering in the cave in the darkest places where our eyes are open and we begin to see something that we couldn't see outside of that suffering and that pain. And of course, our topic of mental illness is is the pain that's the context of this conversation. Brandon, before we wrap up on this episode, um, talk to me about how people can access your organization and the resources that you offer at my quiet cave there's a bunch of stuff and the easiest way is just to point you to our website which is myquietcave.org. you can go there you can get resources there's church resources uh, on those education pieces to break stigma there's amazing resources like a, a creating a thriving community guide and a how to build your church resource guide and mental health 101 guides that give you all these mental illnesses and then really punchy quick Um, synopses of the symptoms and stories of people who have those and then there's also uh, guides for people personally like how do I build my wellness plan and how do I understand how to process this around anywhere else you can also check out our website for groups Uh, we run a number a host of groups every semester at churches all over the place in Colorado and now also uh, there's a couple spots in Oregon and Tennessee and a couple other places that have groups going and so you can find those all on our website and that's myquietcave.com dot org dot com will get there too because it's a redirect but okay dot org well again thank you for being here uh, for sharing your story and for sharing about your organization and this issue of making space between faith and mental health thanks for listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick mental illness is serious and can even be life-threatening. If you or someone you know is struggling, reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-TALK. Or to learn about resources for mental illness, visit the National Alliance on Mental Illness at nami.org. That's N-A-M-I dot O-R-G. Be sure to join us next time for another stimulating conversation on Restoring the Soul.